you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined again by Lincoln Kogaram. Welcome, Lincoln. Thank you, Matt. Good to see you again. Likewise, likewise. It's been a while, but always good to catch up. So today, we will start off at usual with you telling the world a little bit about who you are, and then we'll jump into a very interesting topic. So... Yeah. Do you want to kick off, Lincoln, and just let people know who you are and how you ended up where you are? <laughs> um, I'm Lincoln Cochran. I was born in a tiny little island of Trinidad and Tobago. And on the, map, on the world map, it's a dot right on the northeastern coast of Venezuela in South America. So that's where you find Trinidad and Tobago. I was born there. I was born in Anjupa, which is a mud house. And Mads, those were the happiest days of my life. <laughs> the kid growing up, you know, running around and the fruit trees were in the back uh, backyard. If I needed a gopher, I go pick a gopher. If I needed an orange, I go pick an orange. It was, it, it was paradise, really. We, 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 you know, when we do, didn't compare ourselves with what other people had, oh my goodness, it was, it was, really great. Now I know what it could have been, but I was happy there. And then growing up, went to school, you know, did look all my education was in, in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, when, I, when I graduated from high school, Trinidad and Tobago was still a, a colony of Britain. And my goal, yeah. my desire was to be an Air Force pilot. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. That was, I wanted to fly airplanes, fighter jets, and I had all the qualifications to apply to the UK to be a cadet in the, in the Royal Air Force. So I go to my mother, I, mean, I was 17 and a half going on 18. I go to my mother and I say, Ma, this is what I want to do. Matt, my mother said, no. <laughs> and you know, in those days, you don't argue with mama. You yep. don't argue with mama. So here I am. Now, what do I do? So I talked to my friends who graduated from high school. What are you doing, man? And you know, and well, I got to go to a final job kind of deal because my mother was a single mother, wanted to help her. She couldn't afford to send me up, you know, further education kind of at that time. So I'm looking for a job. I applied about 100 applications. You know, finally, I get a temporary position in a, in a ministry of works as a Look, Mads, that was the most boring job I ever did. I'm glad it was only temporary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes so, sense. Makes sense. You know, my mother was a teacher. My, my older brother was a teacher. His wife, you know. So, okay, everybody said, why don't you apply for teaching? So, there was the system at the time was you can, you can apply for a teacher as assistant and an assistant teacher. And for five years, they will put you to work with a senior teacher. You had to go to Saturday classes for half a day for those five years every Saturday to, you know, to learn the system, the education. Months, it was a job for me, you know, and I like getting the summer off and all of that. 
But you know what, buddy? When I got there, it was like, wow. It, I loved it. The kids were like three, four years younger than me. I was like their big brother. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, and, and I got blessed because the, the, the senior teacher they put me with, her name was Miriam Batista at the time. She was like my bigger sister. And I learned so much from her. It was like a natural coming together. And, and then my mother being a teacher really helped me a lot. And I was the cricket coach. I was the soccer coach. I was a drama coach. You know, but I loved it. I was not working, man. I was not working. Then yeah. I went to co- went to college and got my ed- bachelor's in education. Uh, joined the JCS, um, teaching for a couple of years. Uh, in 1977, I got selected to go as an ambassador to the to the in the state of Indiana. We had an exchange program, so I applied for the leave. It was in October, November, early, late October, early November. And the government said, okay, we'll give you the leave but with half pay. Okay. I went, came back. I came back, you know, with so many ideas to share. But I keep hitting a, a barrier. That's not how we do things. And what, what the, the nail on the coffin for me really was when I went to my, I was a math teacher in middle school. I love math. And I went to my principal and I said, sir, how about if we open a math lab? He said, what's that? I said, a room with items that the children can go and learn by the discovery method. He said, well, write me a proposal. Mads, I wrote the proposal. And as I'm telling you the story, I'm visualizing me sitting in this man's office across from him, hand him the proposal, he look at it, he looked up and he said, where did you learn to write proposals like this? I said, in the JCs. Mads, that was the last thing I heard about that proposal. Yep. Then I took a course, a Dale Carnegie course in human relations and effective speaking. And the moderator came to my home after we were finished. And he said, Lincoln, you will be a, do excellent in in." insurance sales. It was like I was ready. Yeah. I was ready. So, cut a long story short, I quit and I went into insurance sales and within a year I was teaching the other sales reps how to sell insurance. Mm-hmm. Hey, I found it was my calling in my genes. 1984, Mads, I'm vice president of Junior Chamber International traveling to my territory, motivating, encouraging, teaching people. And now I'm campaigning for executive vice president. June of 1984, to tell you how I got to the United States, I get a phone call from the Secretary General, Richard Hayward, who at the time was in Coral Gables, Florida. And the conversation went something like this. Hey, Lincoln, how's it going? Hey, Richard, how are you doing, man? What can I do for you? Well, Lincoln, we know you're running for executive vice president and we know if you're running, you're going to win. Everybody love you. You've done a great job for us, but, and Mads, you know, when somebody say, but in a yep. conversation, you that, better- There's trouble coming. <laughs> put your antennas up and, you know. But Lincoln, we, we need a director of training and development at the world headquarters. And we've looked around our organization and we would like for you to be that person. Now think about this. 
His organization at the time was 500,000 members, 80 countries, and he's calling me. I did not even apply. I didn't even, that had to be divine intervention. Yep. And he said, if you agree, we will make all the arrangements. I said, Richard, can I have a day or two to think about this? It's a big decision. He said, sure, take a day or two. So I prayed about it and I got the sense that the Lord was saying, you need a break. 1985, I landed in Miami International Airport with two suitcases in my hand. And the rest is history. It was like a whole wide world. Talk about, you know, an oyster pearl getting out of its shell. Kind of, you talk about a, a caterpillar exploding out of the chrysalis. Yeah. Oh my God, it was amazing. They sent me to 35, 36 countries all over the world to, to, to motivate their members, to train their leaders, to do radio and TV interviews, to let the government know we're not a communist country. We are, you know, we were just community development, leadership development is what we're all about. And that's how I got here. And, uh, yep. So um, I'm here doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Fantastic. So what what's the secret to getting a job without applying for it? I, I know the secret, but, <laughs> but, but what, what is the secret? You know, man, that's a good question. Because when I'm looking back now, most of the great jobs I got were offers that I did not even know. Somebody who knew me and knew how I performed called me and said, hey, Lincoln, we have this opportunity and, you know, if you, if you want it, it's yours. And yeah. I'm talking about really good roles, assistant vice president of sales at Retriever Payment Systems. You know, my very last corporate gig, I mean, I had applied for a director of sales, district sales manager role. I never got a return phone call or anything. And then out of the blue, I get the phone call. Um, Mr. Kokoram, uh, um, your resume came across my desk. And are you still looking? I said, well, I have an open mind. What do you have to offer? Well, we have an opportunity here out of a company and um, your resume kind of match. Would you, like, would you like to interview? I said, sure. Because again, leadership training and development for autotrader.com. That was my last gig, learning manager for Cox Enterprises. That's not what I applied for. <laughs> So the, the key, the secret, if I'm if to answer your question is do your best at what you do. Do your best at what you do. Never settle for okay. Always seek to exceed expectations. Exceed expectations. And add one thing to that. Make sure you build great relationships wherever you go. Because my experience is that that is when people know you do a good job and they can trust you and you know how to build good relationships, then yeah. people, people are more likely to mention your name in a room where you're not present. Yeah. Be, be likable, trustworthy, like be approachable, you yeah. know? Yeah. Interesting. So Lincoln, it was Independence Day the other day, but it was Independence Day at one point and it happens usually once a year. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about independence. Good. Independence, you know, um, you know I'm come from, I come from uh, Trinidad Tobago, which when I was born, it was a colony of Britain. And, you know, in the 16th, 17th century, Britain and Spain and even France and, and uh, the Dutch, they conquered all 
go and just put the flag down and all these other countries that did not even have a name at the time and say, okay, you have a colony now. You know, in Africa, India was all India kind of deal, but was subjects of the throne. And as time went by, these people, leader, local leaders decided we want to be our own people. And they applied for independence and they got independent, they have their own nation now. America had to fight for theirs, but they got it. And so now they're America. So you're independent from separation from the ruling of the original rulers kind of deal. Make your own laws, create your own culture. Yeah. You create your own nation. Yep. Now. And it reminds me, it, it reminds me a lot about how people talk about freedom. Yes, but the thing about freedom, freedom to do what? Freedom to be, you're in freedom, you're independent of your, the, the other the country, but now you're free to do what? Build your own culture and be interdependent. Now that's the key right there, be interdependent. Too many people, you know, they have, you know, you've heard of, no man is an island. Kind of deal. Yep. No man is an island. And especially today, you know, our world has become so much smaller in terms of communication. And what happens in Ukraine affects the whole rest of the world. You know what yep. happens when, and in an instant, we know everything that's, that's happening. Some, uh, there is a, a storm or a hurricane in, in the Caribbean. Everybody knows about it. We're interdependent, yep. you know, and, and even in our own little communities, we people tend to look down on other people, but think about it, Madge. If the garbage collector doesn't collect the garbage on the scheduled day, how does that affect everybody in that community? Yep. If, the, if the mailman doesn't deliver the mail, you know, if the janitor doesn't clean the, the building, if the Doctors don't do what they're supposed to do. Nurses don't heal, take care, good care of the, the sick. Can't give. I mean, we're so interdependent. If my mechanic don't do a good job of fixing my car, I'm in. I'm, I'm in a mess. Yep. It, it, and if more, I think if more people will learn to realize how interdependent we are, and appreciate others for what they do, yep. recognize. Recognize other people for their job because we need it. What, what I always say is the world is all about the people. It's all about the people around us, right? Because in the end of the day, like as an individual, as a human, yes, you, you are responsible for your own faith and your own destination. But in the end of the day, it is built on the top of other people in one way or another, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I know one, a good friend of mine who was a, senior leader in a company when he was giving a talk and they uh, somebody asked him how did you get where you are he said the people below me pushed me up how you treat people and as leaders especially as leaders you have systems you have laws you have regulations you have hr you know you have accounting departments you have it departments and all of that every one of those are interdependent like when I when I do my with passion workshop, and we come to ownership, I, I use a jigsaw puzzle 
of an illustration mat. And I said, so I, I would ask, how many of you have ever worked on a jigsaw puzzle? Most everybody raised their hand at some time or the other. What's the, what's the biggest puzzle you've ever worked on? I hear things like 5,000 pieces. Okay, so you're working on a 5,000 jigsaw pieces, puzzle, puzzle pieces, and you get to 4,999 and one piece is missing. How are you feeling now? Oh, I'm so frustrated. Where is this? Who moved my stuff? And you look at, and you're not going to stop until you find that one piece. You find that one piece and you put it in. If you put it halfway in, is it done? No, it got to be all the way in. And you see, that's the thing about some leaders. They stay up in their penthouse office and they ignore the people on the bottom floor. They don't even say hello, good morning. I, you know what I recommend the leaders? At least once a month, maybe once a week, once every, walk around your building, say hello to people, shake some hands, say thank you, appreciate what you're doing. Yep. You know, what? think about the impact and the difference. You know, like when my last job, there was a guy who did the break room. His name was Eric. Man, that guy touched more people than the CEO and the president of the company. But but here's the thing. As, as a business owner, you're obviously too busy. So how could you ever imagine doing that? You see, too busy doing what? The wrong thing, obviously. You know, it's about what's important. Are your people important? I like to ask CEOs and presidents, what's your most valuable asset? 99.9% .9 of the time, man, you know what they say? My people. And then my next question is, what percentage of your budget do you invest in your people? And the head go down like this a little bit. I ask, I, I like the, the other question, how much of your time are you spending on your people? Because I mean, budget, even budget is what it is, right? But in the end of the day, as a, as a manager, as a leader in the world, as a leader in your community, yeah. if people are important to you, it mm -hmm. is not just about giving them resources, but it's also about giving them some of your time. And if someone works for you directly and you spend no time with them and they then aren't performing or aren't performing as good as you hoped and so on, it's only one place to look. I did a, a workshop for a group of salespeople three weeks ago. And it was, it was in person, that's coming back a little bit. It was, it was so good to see people you know, in the flesh kind of deal and yeah. inter interact with them. But you know what was even more powerful? I was, according to what you just said, the president of the company. Now this head office is in Chicago, but we had this meeting in Sarasota, Florida. He and his executive team, they arranged to have a meeting at the same time when this workshop in the same building and they joined us ever so often during the course of the day and a half. We had lunch together. We had dinners together. So, you know, that, having a meal together is such a bonding. And, it, you know, one of uh, a lot of leaders will tell me, if you ask them, what's your biggest, you know, concern? Attrition. People leaving. Well, you and I know that people don't leave companies. They leave leaders. They leave managers. So, so when you make, when you bond with the people, it makes it difficult for them to disengage from you. Yeah. But when you don't have a bond, it's easy. 
it, it's just, I mean, I don't even see it as difficult to disengage. I look at it as wanting to be there, right? Like, it's not that they can't leave, it's that they don't want to, right? Yeah, they, they don't even think about leaving. When, when they have a good culture, everybody is on board with one another, everybody is all in with the company, you know, and I feel sorry when I, I like to ask people, do you have any friends at work? Anybody who you go to have lunch with now and again, who you maybe play some racquetball after work or play around the golf on the weekend or, you know, do you have any? No. So if something goes wrong with you at work, who's going to take care of you? Is that such a valuable asset to have friends at work? Yeah. Because what, where do you spend most of your waking hours? At work. Yep. Even if it's virtual. Yep. Yeah. Connect, connecting with people. Connecting. And you know, you talk about systems and all, but every product service you're working on is a person who is going to benefit from that. Yep. People. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I'm working on a, on a, my third book, and the title of the book is Peopledemics. Sounds interesting. And the, the, the thought was given to me because, you know, we go to school, pre-K, kindergarten, elementary, middle school, high school, college, all the way. Some people go all the way to get their PhD, and they spend half of their life in an institution. And, and what's the focus? Academic academic, get a good grade, get a certificate. And then they go out into the world and they're floundering and they don't know what to do. They can't communicate. They don't know how to build bonds. They don't know how to build trust. They don't know how to resolve conflict. They don't even, you know, unless they study, they don't know how to plan an event, a, a project, a, a big floundering. And, and some of them get lucky that they find a good mentor or a good coach by, by Coincidence or by accident, which is good. Some of them get smart. I need a mentor, and they find somebody who they, they, they like and they get help. Some companies will provide additional training for their people. So, people dynamics. We are all people. I've been to a lot of countries all over the world, and you know, they are, we might look different, we might speak different, we might dress different. We might even eat different things, but deep down, we all have a heart. We all have a brain. We all have a mind. You know, we all can smile. We all can laugh. We all can cry. You know, the basic deep emotions are common. Yeah, we have people deep down. People dynamics. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Sounds super interesting. I'm excited to see when that comes out. I, I hope you give us a heads up. Yep. Um, well, I'm taking my time, though. <laughs> I write as I'm inspired, Mads. You, you mentioned communication earlier. Communication. So what's your, what's your tips and tricks for all these great leaders and managers sitting out there and want to learn to be better communicators? The first thing is to learn to be a better listener. And I do a 10-second effective listening seminar. And I'll do it for you right now on your audience. This is how it goes. Look at how you were designed. Two ears, one mouth, which is a subtle indication that you, would list, you should listen twice as much as you speak. I've seen too many leaders, too many leaders cut people short. Oh, I know exactly what you're going to say. 
Really? Well, let them say it in their own voice. Anyway, and then the other thing, a leader is having a meeting and they leave, okay, you have the agenda. I always coach leaders, you be the last to speak. Because the moment you start to speak, everybody else assume this is what he wants to do and this is what we're going to do. Yep, most, pe most people shut up. Yeah, and now you're losing all the brain power from all your people. One of them might have even a more brilliant idea than your idea. And you put all the ideas together and now you get the, big, the best idea. But if you don't listen, you're losing that brain power and all of that. So listening. And, and the most, actually the most valuable thing, or the, the biggest challenge in that case is if you're always the one coming up with the solutions, what happens is when you aren't there to come up with the solutions. Yeah. And then the other thing is, who is in the trenches? You're not in the trenches. They are. They're experiencing. They know what the challenges are. They know what the opportunities are. Ask. Now, what kind of questions? That's another thing. Ask questions that begin with W and H. What are you thinking about? Why should we do this? How can we do this? Because if you ask questions with like, do you want to do this? The answer is always, always yes or no. But you want to get them thinking. So W and H questions inspire and instill their thinking power. And now you're getting the most out of these people that you're leading. Yep. That makes sense. That makes sense. Excellent topic. Excellent topic. So any other things, any other resources or anything, Lincoln, this time around for, for the audience? Any well, favorites? I've never met an individual who said to me, Lincoln, I don't want to excel in life. I just want to be okay. I just want to be average. Everybody had a dream to be great at what they do, to be Superman and Wonder Woman in, in what they do. But what happens is they allow other people to get in the way. They allow obstacles and they succumb to these obstacles. They have negative thoughts and they accept, entertain the negative thoughts instead of deleting the negative thoughts. But I've learned people who have a passion for what they do, excel at what they do. It doesn't, it's not what they do, but how they do it and why they're doing it. Matt, I remember once I was in a hotel in Orlando, Florida, and I went into the men's room and this guy was cleaning the toilets, Matt, and he was whistling. And that man's toilet with the clean, sparkling clean, and it had such a positive impact on all of us who went in there. He had a passion for what he did. So, yep. so that, you know, develop a passion. And that's why I wrote that book, With Passion. And I do the workshop, With Passion, to help people to perform with passion. Don't go to work. I tell people, stop going to work. Go to perform. It's a whole different mindset. Totally. And, and, and this is the thing. It's a mindset, right? Like yeah. I, always, I always say anything I've seen someone be unhappy about, I've seen someone else be happy about the exact same thing. Amen, brother. And yeah. the, whole, the whole thing is people are so busy. Like if you look at most people in regular jobs, they're so busy complaining about the jobs they have. 
instead of either changing them and taking action or actually being like, hey, you know, if I didn't have this job, I didn't eat. Um, yeah. So like in the end of the day, for me, you either learn to appreciate or you take the action to change. You know, on that point, Matt, I remember when I was in sales management, you know, there are people who always complain in Matt. So they will come to my office. Oh, this is not working. And this is this. I said, and my response was always, thank you. Thank you for bringing that problem up to me, to my attention. Have you thought of any solutions? And I, have you thought of any you, solutions? You get a blank stare. I get a blank stare. I say, okay, what I like for you to do now, go back to your office and think about at least one or two solutions and then come back and let's talk about it. So after they've experienced that a couple of times, they come, they start coming with solutions to the problem and not just complaining and whining. And they knew, they knew that's what I was going to tell them. Yep. They see, they see there's some, some people, leaders make them talk about dependence, make their people dependent upon them for all the solutions. And, and that is that is great to do if you want to spend all day, every day working and you don't want to grow your company and your role. Right. And if you want to die one day of a heart attack in your office. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Lincoln, it's been amazing talking to you again. If people want to get hold of you, what's the right way to do so? Well, a couple of ways. They can email me, Lincoln at hisbusinesspartners.com. Or they can go to my website, www.hisbusinesspartners.com. And uh, yeah, I think those are the, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook. Uh, so awesome. reach out. Thank you so much for joining me this time around again. Have a, have a good time. Thank you, Mads. And be safe where, up there where you are right now. Thank you very much. And to the audience, thank you very much for holding on. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.